Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about the India-China border crisis and how the Chinese are blocking Indian troops along the LAC. We'll also talk about a new investigative series by the Indian Express. But first, we talk about farm reforms. Over the past few weeks, there have been widespread protests over three farm reform bills, particularly in Haryana and Punjab. The agitations have also led BJP to lose its long-time ally, the Shiromani Akali Dal, after Union Minister Harsimrat Kaur Badal resigned from the Narendra Modi cabinet. These bills on paper are meant to give farmers more choice of where they can sell their produce. They also hope to make farm markets more efficient and aim to make Indian farming more profitable. But the farmers feel that these bills are a ploy by the government to do away with MSPs or minimum support prices, the price at which the government procures crops from farmers, set prices which the government considers fair and remunerative. Now, technically, neither point is completely invalid. This is something that Udit Mishra has pointed out in an explained piece he wrote for the paper. In a previous episode, we have talked in detail about these bills and we have provided a link to it in today's episode description, including one to Udit's piece. These bills were first passed by the Lok Sabha. And then, despite the agitations by the farmers and the opposition, two out of these three bills were also passed by the Rajya Sabha on Sunday. But while the bills were passed, unprecedented scenes of chaos, confusion and ruckus took place in the Rajya Sabha. Copies of the bills were torn, microphones on the chairman's table were broken, a copy of the rule book was flung at the presiding officer and the opposition later sat on the dharna in the house. The BJP called the ruling historic and the opposition called it historic for all the wrong reasons. In this segment, Manoj Siji, who reports on the Congress and the Rajya Sabha for the paper, joins us to talk about what exactly happened on Sunday. Okay, it was a historic Sunday in every sense of the word, because the parliament never really sits on a Sunday. In that sense, it's an unprecedented sitting because of the COVID-related restrictions. This time, the monsoon session, there are no breaks. The parliament is sitting even on Saturday and Sunday. So for the consideration passage of these two uh, hugely contentious bills, uh, the Rajya Sabha had allocated three and a half hours for discussion, which meant that the bills were to be taken up at 9.30. And by one o'clock, the Rajya Sabha was to adjourn after passage of the bills, because uh, in this particular monsoon session, the Rajya Sabha and Lok Sabha, both the houses are using the chambers of each other. This means that Rajya Sabha members are sitting in Rajya Sabha and Lok Sabha and vice versa. After the session was to end in Rajya Sabha at 1pm on Sunday, the Lok Sabha session was to take place there. The two-hour window was kept for sanitation. So the discussion started off smoothly. It went till 1 o'clock. That time, after the debate, Agriculture Minister Narendra Singh Toma, he was replying to the debate. The 1 o'clock was the scheduled time to adjourn the session. So the normal practice, the normal procedure is that the chair, whosoever is on the chair, he takes the consent of the house whether to extend the house or to carry forward the business to the next day. So 
the Minister for Parliamentary Affairs, the Minister of State for Parliamentary Affairs, Mr. V. Murli Dharan, proposed that the House be extended till the disposal of these bills. Through you to the House, that House may be extended till the completion Deputy Chairman, Mr. Harivansh, he did not really seek the consent of the House and he instead just asked, does the House has the permission to extend the session? And then he just nodded. He just asked Mr. Toma, the Agriculture Minister, to continue his speech. The opposition members objected. Some of them started shouting. The leader of the opposition, Mr. Gulam Nabi Asad, then said very clearly that the House, if the time is to be extended, it has to be on the basis of a consensus in the House, not on the basis of the strength of the ruling party. So the opposition uh, clearly was saying that let's adjourn the House on Sunday at one o'clock. On Monday, uh, the Agriculture Minister can continue his speech and after that, the bills can be voted upon. Manoj later asked the members of the opposition why they wanted to delay the process and couldn't just sit for half an hour more. But they said that because the members of the house were scattered in different places because of the pandemic, some of them in the Lok Sabha as well, a voting by a press of a button wouldn't have been possible and they would have had to use paper ballots. And since there were amendments to the bill, there were motions, opposition motions, asking that these bills be referred to a select committee and there were statutory resolutions. So it would have taken at least one to two hours. So that was the opposition argument that the House be adjourned and the business be carried to the next day. But that was not agreed upon. After that, we saw what the protest members coming to the well, shouting slogans. And while all that was on, Mr. Toma continued his speech Later, due to the protests, Thomas' speech was cut short. Now, even as the opposition members kept protesting and sloganeering, the audio feed of the Rajya Sabha was temporarily cut off. And even though the audio feed was cut off, the video feed remained. Uh, there is a system, uh, there is a button underneath the chairman's podium where he can manually switch off the live feed. That measure is being employed now fairly regularly by the presiding officers during a very you know, noisy protests by the members, most of the time by opposition members. Later, the deputy chairman took the bills for passage, basically clause by clause, took voice notes and started passing the bill. To vote, the question is put, those in favor will please raise their hands and say aye. Those against will please raise their hands and say no. Now, this is where the contention arose. As Manoj mentioned earlier, the opposition members wanted statutory resolution on both the bills. They wanted these bills to be referred to a selection committee and they wanted amendments to the bill. And all these had to be voted upon. So the general practice is that the member will say, I move and then you take a voice vote. And after that, if the member insists on a division, which means a proper paper balloting or electronic voting system will be employed and the actual go for voting. In earlier non-COVID period, 
there are buttons uh, eyes and nose and abstain buttons on the on the table of every member they could have pressed buttons and that way the vote is done in extraordinary circumstances they can even use paper ballots but all those things were done away with the clause by clause considerations and statutory resolutions were voted upon by voice vote that is by shouting and calling out the vote and this is when the ruckus started members tried to you know mr obran trying to show the rule book to the deputy chairman someone pulled the mic uh, three members congresses rajiv satav and uh, amatmi party sanjay singh and congresses said nazir hussain they climbed onto the table of the secretary general and all those you know uproarious and stormy scenes happened no even as the ruckus continued the bill was eventually passed In this case, like Manoj pointed earlier, the division vote was not allowed, and the opposition members argue that even if one single member seeks the division vote, the chair is supposed to allow it. but the rule book also says that the members calling for the division vote have to be in their seat to do so and the chairman says that none of the members were on their seat now there's a counter argument where the opposition says at least one or two members like dmk siruchi shiva were on their designated seats they were shouting slogans they were on their seats they were in their seats and they were demanding division from their seats manoj points out that this kind of ruckus doesn't happen that often but you see it sometimes when the bills are contentious the last time we saw was i think a year ago when the bills to you know bifurcate jammu and kashmir that came up for discussion there was huge ruckus protests and even suspension of some mps even during the upa government's time i remember the when the women's reservation i was i was in the house then covering even when the women's reservation bill came up for discussion there was this huge protest by rjd and all to an extent where almost a similar kind of situation happened so all these things happen in parliament uh, like you know uprooting the mics or climbing onto the secretary general's table all that are not seen very often but stormy scenes are not very rare if if you remember the lok sabha had witnessed even use of pepper spray in 2014 when the andhra pradesh bifurcation bill came up for consideration Uh, one mp had used a pepper spray after which some of the mps had to be rushed to the hospital later the opposition members protested in the house and didn't leave the chamber till 3 pm this resulted in the delay of the lok sabha proceedings later derek o'brien the member of the trinamool congress party took a video expressing his frustrations the video later went viral but we saw today this is the brutal murder more than a murder murder of our parliamentary system murder of our democracy what is going on today after the protest the opposition members moved a no confidence motion against the deputy speaker and asked for his removal around 46 members signed on that motion a move like this manoj says is rare we spoke to former lok sabha secretary generals and you know constitutional experts so a motion of this kind expressing no confidence in the deputy chairman and seeking his removal 
is perhaps for the first time which happened at least in the case of Rajya Sabha. So opposition did that also on Sunday. The action continued to the next day as well. During the Rajya Sabha session on Monday, the government moved a motion for the suspension of eight MPs of the opposition. Among them, uh, Trinamool Congress's Derek O'Brien and Dola Sen, Congress's Rajiv Satav, Syed Nazir Hussain and Ripun Bora, Aam Aadmi Party's Sanjay Singh, and the CPM's Elamaram Karim and KK Rajesh. So that proposal, that motion was accepted and on the chair was Chairman uh, Mr. M. Benkai Naidu. He announced the suspension of all the members. That created another round of records today. Again, the opposition members argued that if, if a member is to be suspended, the sense of the House is to be taken, there should be a voice vote or a division of votes. Nothing was taken. The decision of suspension of these eight MPs were announced by a voice vote. This, he says, again created a ruckus. The suspended members refused to leave, which led to the House being adjourned several times. Later, the eight MPs moved to protest near the Gandhi statue in the parliament premises. They decided to sit for an all-night dharna. Now, even though these MPs feel that the bill was passed due to improper parliamentary procedures, Manoj says that there's not much recourse available for them. Leaders of 18 parties have written a letter to President Ramnath Kovind asking him not to give his assent to the bill. So every bill after it is passed by both the houses, Rajya Sabha and Lok Sabha, the bill comes into effect only after the president gives his assent. So they have now written a letter to the president asking him not to give his assent in the letter, they have said that, you know, the bills were passed in a tyrannical manner unknown to the constitution and they have sought his active and vocal intervention in the matter. They've asked him to exert all powers, you know, both constitutional and moral as the head of the republic to ensure that such, such a black law, according to the opposition, does not become law. So that is the next course of action. It is not a recourse, but yes, of course, they have the right, they have the freedom to petition the president. Among those that opposed the bill in the Rajya Sabha were also members of the Telangana Rashtra Samiti and the Biju Janta Dal, which are usually fence-sitters. While the TRS was outrightly opposing the bill, calling it an assault on the federal structure and the federal principles, the BJD, like the other opposition parties, said the bill has to be referred to a select committee for parliamentary scrutiny. So that came as a surprise. So that is one reason why the claim by the opposition that they believe the government passed the bill in a hurried fashion, without division, without voting, because the opposition claim is that the numbers at the end of the day were not in the government's favor. Otherwise, the numbers are stacked in favor of the government in Rajya Sabha. But since two parties who have always voted, which have always voted in favor of the government, and Akali Dal, Shiromani Akali Dal, which is an NDA constituent, it had pulled out its minister, Harsimrat uh, Kobadal. They were also opposing the bill. So the opposition feels the numbers had tilted in favor of the opposition and that perhaps forced the government to push through the bill in a very hurried fashion. Dear listeners, sorry for this interruption, but before we move on to the rest of the show, I just wanted your quick attention. One of the big reasons people say they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better. It provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture. And there is perhaps no other place that does that better than Indian Express's explained section. We on three things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show. 
If you're a regular reader of Indian Express, you know how useful the explained section can be, especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts. You can log on to indianexpress.com slash explained and access the coverage 24-7. Explained by Indian Express, where news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject. Now, back to the show. Next, we talk about the India-China border crisis. It has now been over four months since the standoff between the two sides started at the line of actual control in eastern Ladakh. As discussed on previous episodes, the Chinese have transgressed along at least four points on the LAC. Pangongso, the Galwan Valley, Hot Springs area and Depsang. The situation on the border has been tense since the beginning of this month when warning shots were fired for the first time in 45 years along the LAC. There are now also several points along the LSE where Indian troops are being denied access by the Chinese troops and where they are no longer able to patrol. Though talking about the crisis in the Rajya Sabha on Thursday, Defence Minister Rajnath Singh had said that patrolling patterns are traditional and well-defined, no force on earth can stop our soldiers from patrolling and that there will be no change in the patrolling pattern. और यहां तक पेट्रोलिंग पैटर्न का सवाल है सभापति महोदय यह पेट्रोलिंग पैटर्न ट्रेडिशनल है पारंपरिक है और साथ ही साथ यह वेल डिफाइंड है भारत के सेना के जवानों को पेट्रोलिंग करने से दुनिया की कोई ताकत नहीं रोक सकती यदि हमारे हमारे जवानों ने अपना बलिदान दिया है तो इसीलिए बलिदान दिया है इसीलिए बलिदान दिया है और इसमें कोई परिवर्तन इस पेट्रोलिंग पैटर्न में नहीं होगा मैं अपने सम्मानित Despite what Singh said, the situation on the ground remains quite different. In this segment, Krishan Kaushik, who reports on the matters of defence for the paper, joins us to talk about how patrolling patterns have changed and how much area is Indian troops being denied access to. There are a few things to understand here. First, the LAC between India and China, it is not really a manned border. We don't have people sitting on the LAC unlike the LOC line of control with Pakistan. Both these were part of the uh, you know confidence-building measure between both the countries going back to uh, starting 1993. So to assert control that this territory is within our uh, perception, soldiers have to patrol to a particular point. That marks that this is our area. In most places, these patrolling points, also called PPs, are located at the LAC or very close to it. The other thing to note here, of course, is that the LAC is a disputed border and both sides have different perceptions of it. Now, Krishan points out that along the LAC, there are now several patrolling points that Indian troops can no longer access. Now, what has happened here is that the first flashpoint that was created, which Army admitted was in Pangongso, where Indian troops were denied from going east of Finger 4. India says the LAC is at Finger 8. Similarly, there were more flashpoints in Galwan, in Hot Springs area, and Gogra Post. The other area, as much, is Depsang Plains. So in Depsang Plains, there's an area called the Bottleneck, from where there are two tracks going into the Depsang Bulge area. One follows the Rakinala, going slightly north, and one follows towards Jivanala, going southeast. Now, the Chinese are blocking Indian troops at this point. Here, India and China have very different perceptions of the LAC. Earlier, the Chinese side used to go to their patrolling points and Indians could go to theirs. But now, the Indian side has been blocked. 
Debsang is one area where the petroleum points are actually not on the LAC, but are, they are considerably inside. So now the Chinese are blocking Indian troops are bottleneck, which means that the area that Indians have lost access to till their petroleum points will be somewhere around 50 square kilometers. However, the area that India has not been able to access for many, many years is much larger. It's about 970 odd square kilometers. But that's the area which is between the line of patrolling and the line of actual control. Now, the question is, if the patrolling points at the bottleneck are considerably inside the LAC, does that mean that the Chinese are sitting inside the Indian side of the LAC and that's how they're managing to block the Indian troops? Krishan spoke to some top-level experts at the government security establishment about this. They suggested that the Chinese troops are not stationed at the bottleneck, but whenever Indian troops try to go beyond the bottleneck area, they come in, block us there. One of the topmost sources, they informed that, you know, if the troops want, they can still go, but that will just create another flashpoint, which India is trying to avoid. However, former army commanders, like former Northern army commanders whom we have spoken to, they suggest that it will be very tough for Chinese to have such a sustained surveillance that they can always track when we are starting a patrol. So definitely they must have been stationed somewhere close to the bottleneck and that's why they're able to block us. In 2013 as well, Debsang saw Chinese troops stationed themselves in the same area at the bottleneck when there was another standoff. That was resolved after about 21 days. However, this time uh, nobody is saying that they're stationed there, but it's very unlikely that they are not stationed somewhere close. Debsang is an area where things remain tense. Earlier, both sides had amassed several thousand troops in the region. Talking about the patrolling points, Krishan explains that they were actually created even before India accepted the concept of the line of actual control. In 1975, the China Study Group was created, which was the top advisory body for India's uh, links with China. It includes the Defense Secretary, the Home Secretary, also the National Security Advisor now and some other top officials from the Indian establishment. They decide what are the patrolling limits, what are the patrolling points on the ground. And they started defining these patrolling points from 1976 onwards. Since then, the patrolling points have been revised, mostly to India's advantage, going further towards the LAC. So now most of the patrolling points are actually along the LAC, except for in very few sectors, which are remaining where they are, not at the LAC. The Indian troops are supposed to go to these patrolling points, and the idea is not to go beyond them. But Krishan says that the troops can, of course, cross it and go to the point that India considers its own. He also talks about other areas apart from Depsang and Pengongso, where Indian troops are being denied access. Indian troops are not patrolling point 14 in Galwan. Indian troops are not accessing BPs 15 and 17 Alpha in Hot Springs and uh, Kogra Post area, respectively. So India has been denied a lot of patrolling points at the moment, access to a lot of patrolling points. In 14, 15, and 17 Alpha, they are not accessing it as part of the disengagement process that started in early July. Both sides had agreed that they will not patrol these friction points at the moment. But clearly now uh, in Depsang, and we have to understand the problem in Depsang started before the problem in Pangongso started. So basically the problem in Depsang started clearly easily in March or April at least, if not before that. So India has lost access to our territory in different pockets. Since the tension started, India has been asking for status quo ante. That is, for things to go back to the way they were in April end. It doesn't only mean troops that are stationed near the friction points right now. It also means the troops that have been brought in from other sectors by both sides to be stationed behind the LAC, which is the military buildup. So first is the disengagement process. That is that troops should not be in such close quarters to each other, which can lead to friction, which can lead to another incident like what happened in June 15 in Galwan. 
that's the disengagement process that the troops need to step back the deescalation comes after that that the entire military build up that has happened on both sides those troops also need to go back to the original location from where they came from today actually as we speak the sixth round of core commander level talks are happening they are happening in moldo which is on the chinese side of the chushul moldo border personal meeting point there for the first time the delegation also includes an official from the ministry of external affairs it also includes another three star rank officer who is likely to take over as the next core commander in the coming month the last two rounds of core commander meetings which happened on august 2 and july 14 were unsuccessful they couldn't achieve any breakthrough there has been a stalemate since then but after end of august when uh, indian troops have stationed themselves to occupy certain heights which were not occupied earlier in the south bank of pangongso and have also readjusted their position on the north bank the tensions were very high again but now the expectation is with these round of core commander talks hopefully both sides will achieve some breakthrough and the disengagement can start again and in the end we talk about the fincen files after the offshore leaks in 2013 swiss leaks in 2015 and the panama papers in 2016 the fincen files is the latest in a series of investigations by the indian express into international money flows involving indians the fincen investigation examines indian connections in a cache of over 2000 secret documents which have been flagged to the top us financial watchdog fincen or the financial crimes enforcement network for suspected money laundering terrorism drug dealing or financial fraud more than 8 of every 10 of these documents were filed by deutsche bank bank of new york mellon Standard Chartered Bank, Citibank and JP Morgan Chase. The total value of transactions covered in these documents is 2 trillion US dollars. The documents uncovered provide a rare peek into how businessmen, politicians and their companies utilize banking channels across the world to move their wealth across borders or to tax havens to avoid taxation or detection. Significantly these cases are also being investigated by agencies like the Central Bureau of Investigation the Enforcement Directorate and the Directorate of Revenue Intelligence as many as 44 Indian banks figure in the Fincen files including Punjab National Bank Kotak Mahindra Bank HDFC Bank Canara Bank Indusind Bank and Bank of Baroda among others The Indian Express along with 109 media organizations in 88 countries including Le Monde in France, NBC in the US and the Australian Broadcasting Corporation teamed up with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and BuzzFeed News to trace the Indian entities and banks named in these files with FinCEN between 1999 and 2017. In the coming days the Indian Express will reveal the findings of the investigation and we'll be talking about it in detail on the podcast next week. So keep listening. You are listening to 3 Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me Shashank Bhargav and as always was edited and mixed by our producer Joshua Thomas. Before we go, here's another reminder to check out Indian Express's explain section. You can log on to indianexpress.com/explain and find in-depth analysis by the right experts. It has everything you need to know to understand the news better and see the bigger picture. If you like this show, then you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it, share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. 
You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at IndianExpress.com.